before I start with the sermon, uh, let's pray. Lord, we want to praise you. Thank you for this place that you have given us so that we can come together as your church. I thank you for these rooms, for all the stuff that we can already have. And we have lots of visions what we want to improve still and do. And I ask you to lead and guide us in that, that you would bring everything together and provide for us um, as you have done in the past. And we thank you for that a lot. We also thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and eternal, not only in those times back in the past, but you are an eternal God who knows and who knew in those times what the world would look like today. And I thank you that you show yourself to us through your word, that you are talking to us through your word and that it is alive. And so I ask you to do that today as well. We praise you and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to open our hearts and to do and speak whatever you want to do. Amen. So we have arrived at Romans 13. That is the last part of the letter to the Romans in general, which teaches um, the believers to lead a devoted life according to the will of God which is marked by the love of Jesus all because of the grace God has shown to them. In chapter 12 on the one hand was about the living together of the Christians within the church and on the other hand it was about how love should be characteristic of all our relationships to one another. And in the chapter of today, chapter 13, Paul in the first seven verses talks about the question how we as Christians should behave towards the government. And right at the beginning, uh, we meet one of the verses in the Bible, which we might have read quite often and probably ask us time and time again how we can understand this verse. So it will be interesting and I believe that the instructions of Paul that we'll read today will change our relationship to the government very much. At least that was the case with me when I prepared this text. <clears throat> and so at the beginning, I will read the whole passage, Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. The headline is um, Subjection Under the Government. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That is the verse I have talked about, which we have read quite often, and where we have thought, how is that really meant? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. So pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. <clears throat> So when you read these verses, you could think that Paul would be writing out of a life situation where there was a God-fearing government of the Christians uh, which allowed them to live well and in peace and freedom. Because he's talking about subjection under the government in such positive words. But the opposite was the case. <coughs> the Christians had to live under the government of the Romans and they were not really friends of the Christians uh, which was shown a few years later when they really started persecuting the church or the Christians and still Paul teaches the subjection under the government and he does that for a good reason because he says every government has been appointed by God. Living together as a society can only work if there are certain ordinances or laws. If there is no order or laws and no power that is responsible for keeping these laws, then chaos will ensue. Just for a short moment, uh, think about the fact what would be the case on our roads if there wasn't no road traffic regulations. And everyone would do what he liked. The one would like to drive on the left-hand side of the road, the other one on the right-hand side. One person would like to park where others would like to speed. There would be real chaos and all the traffic would really break together. Nothing would work anymore. And this example clarifies that every country needs a government that puts up laws and also sees to it that these laws are being kept. <coughs> and this is why God instituted the government. And Paul even calls the government God's servant, which carries a sword. Or in other words, um, the government is the power that God appointed over people. And when it says in verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, then, of course, that must mean that God makes use of the governing authorities to punish things like sin, violence, fraud, hatred, mord, or homicide. He also makes use of the government to do that. <clears throat> so when we've read in the verses in chapter 12, that we should never avenge ourselves but leave it to the wrath of God because he says vengeance is his then he also does that by using the government that he has appointed over us and therefore resistant against the government according to these verses is the same as resisting God even though most of the governments 
don't act according to God's uh, mind and His will most of the time, and in some cases you cannot really respect the persons in office, we are still called to respect the office itself and by doing so uh, submit ourselves to the government, as Paul is saying here. A Bible commentator called Newell says, your savior suffered under Pontius Pilate, one of the worst Roman governors uh, that Judea ever had. And Paul suffered under Nero, the worst Roman um, Caesar. And neither our Lord nor his apostles ever denied the authority or reviled it even. So even Jesus and Paul were examples of this. So you could ask, when God appoints governments, then why does he not appoint good governments who act according to his will? And why are there bad states? And should we really subdue ourselves in everything? Probably these are the three questions that go through each of your, your minds. At least that was what went through my mind. And I want to try to give an answer to these questions. The best form of government, of course, is where God alone is on the throne and reigns in absolute wisdom, love and justice. <clears throat> uh, we don't have it anywhere and that is why we are looking forward to heaven, where this is the case and we'll have this government. But even God's chosen people, the uh, people of Israel, even they denied in a certain way this kind of government but they also wanted like the other people they want to have a human king who could go before them we see that in first samuel um, how god respects this wish of the people and he institutes saul above israel as king and interestingly enough saul was not a man according to god's own heart but he was a man according to the people's heart. So God gave them a government uh, of the kind that they wanted. Was that good for the people? No. But was it according to the will of the people? Yes, it was. So when we have a look at the several governments in this world, then I will be careful, carefully say, well, most of the governments are according to the people's will or heart, right? Even Hitler, even Hitler was chosen by a great part of the German people. And there might be exceptions among all of the governments that we could look at from the past until now. And I, I don't want to judge a country or um, the inhabitants of the country. And of course, this is a very mm, difficult topic, especially when you come from a country where they persecute the Christians. But I believe that it is an explanatory approach why there are not only good governments. And this, of course, poses the question even more 
if we should really um, be subject to the government in everything. And of course, we all think about the unjust things that governments do. Should we really subject to this as Christians? According to these verses, the governments have their authority from God, and so we are obliged to obey them. This is what Paul says. Unless they command us to do something that is in contradiction to God's word, then, of course, we are told to listen to God rather than to man, as it is written in Acts 4, verse 19. We need to obey God more than people. And I want to clarify this with the help of a biblical story, which also um, shows the truth that God really is in control over kings and authorities that he has appointed. It's a story from the book of Daniel, chapters 3 and 4, about the king Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king over the Babylonian Empire about 600 years before the birth of Christ. <coughs> All of who have been in the children's service know this story because it's in every children's Bible. In his megalomania, he uh, erected a golden image of himself, a great image, and he ordered everyone that whenever they heard the sound of uh, flutes, cymbals, horns, and all kinds of music, they, would, uh, they were commanded to fall down and worship this image of himself. And those who would not worship this image should be thrown into the fiery furnace, so suffer capital punishment. By doing so, Nebuchadnezzar declared himself to be God because he wanted to be worshipped by the people. But the three God-fearing men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who uh, were in high positions in the administration of Babel, they regarded God higher than men, and so they didn't worship the image. So when the music started and all the people fell down, they remained standing. And as a punishment, therefore, they were cast into the fiery furnace. But these three men didn't burn. But together with an angel, they were walking around in the fire. And when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, saw this, then he um, made them come out of the fire and said in Daniel 3, verse 28, he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And after this um, story, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about his future and the prophet Daniel uh, explained this dream. We can read this in Daniel 4 verse 25. It says, um, you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High, that is the important uh, passage, that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will. 
So here we see how the subjection under uh, the government has its limits and how God supports those who regard God more highly than man. And at the same time we see how God is in control and has power over every kingdom and how he appoints whomever he wants. And there are lots of further biblical stories who prove how God is in power over governments and how he can direct the hearts of kings. And that was the case in former times and we can know and believe it that it hasn't changed until today. In this, for me, the sovereignty of God is shown, which lets me become quiet when I look at the world, when I think about everything that is happening, and when I think of the pride of many people in power, where you wish that they would be um, humbled like Nebuchadnezzar, and where we don't understand why God allows some things to happen. But here we see the sovereignty of God. Even to us, it might not look as if God was sovereign if we don't understand everything. But we can know that God is in control over the whole world. Okay, what else does Paul teach us about our behavior towards our government? In verse 3, he tells us to do good so that we might receive commendation. As Christians, we should really be the best citizens of the country who stick to the laws and instead of bragging about the politicians, no, no bragging, uh, insulting the politicians, we should honor them as servants of God and pray for them. In 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 4 it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people especially for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. With supplications, prayers, intercessions, we should especially pray for the governing people. So this is stressed. They are servants of God and they carry lots of responsibility. And it's really good if we prayed for them because if they do a good job, then we are well off as well. And as it says, then we can live in peace and without disturbance. And for this reason alone, even for egoistic reasons so far, it is wise to pray for them. And another aspect where we should stick out as sincere citizens and where we should stand out is in paying our taxes. This is interesting because at the same time when I prepared this uh, sermon, I was preparing my tax declaration. 
So it was exactly the right time for this Bible passage to tell me to be honest, because it is easy, as we all know who have ever done this text declaration, it is easy to to change some of the numbers of figures so that they don't, uh, um, they are not according to the whole truth. But this is fraud, and here Paul clearly teaches us to to pay our taxes. So we know this verse where it says, give to the king what the king is due, or give to the state what the state is due. And this is what the state um, appoints, and it's not us who can determine this. <laughs> Sometimes we have our own righteousness, right? What we think belongs to the state, and we should stop that and really give to the state what the state appoints. Perhaps these verses help us to uh, give us a new view toward the taxes we have to pay. Because when we think about it, paying taxes means that we also support God's work. Because we support the government that God has appointed to keep up the order. In verse 6 it says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So we pay our taxes so the servants of God can work or do their work. Okay, one more word about this topic. And the Christians, from time to time, the question pops up if Christians should go into politics. Probably you have thought about it yourself once or thought about this or debated about this even. And I believe after what we have seen in these verses, there are more aspects in favor of this than there are against this. Well, in the end, we can also serve God and the people by going into politics. Recently, I've read a newspaper article about oh, these uh, lay judges called Schöffen in German. So these are people taken from, from the people of a country who together with a judge um, place verdicts. And I thought about it myself because I find it very interesting probably there's a place where we Christians could be to to also see to it that the right is fulfilled and to act in God's sense or according to God's will. So there are many good things where we as Christians could be engaged in political ways and perhaps even yeah, should do this. So Paul, after Paul has talked about the obligations of the Christian uh, towards the government, he now continues to talk about the obligations of the Christians toward one another and to love one another. So we'll read the verses 8 to 10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. 
We all know the passage from Matthew where the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest um, law? And Jesus answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well said in an easy going way, if you love your neighbor, you won't sin. All laws or commandments are fulfilled through the commandment of love. If we love our neighbor, then we will not lie or do evil things. If we love, all the commandments are being fulfilled and therefore it's the highest law. So this is an ongoing obligation, even a debt that we have to pay, that we love one another. Well, it's a clear task that we have to fulfill daily. To love the other one means to cherish the other one, to respect him, to honor him, to want the best for him, to support him, to encourage him, to share with him, to forgive him and also to endure him or her. And so this is the way we should love one another in the church. And recently we had looked at this, looking at the first church, how they had everything in common and took over responsibility for one another. And this is how we should live it out in church. But we should also do this toward our neighbor, the persons we meet daily. And if you now think, well, I don't have this love, I would love to do that, I would love to fulfill the law, but I'm missing out on this love, then this is only partly true. It is true that you don't have this love within yourself because our human love is really limited a lot. But you can have the love through God who lives within you. In Romans 5 verse 5 it says, um, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. So if God tells us to love one another, then he will also enable us to do that, as he usually does. Usually when God uh, wants something from us, then he also enables us to do it. And that is why it says here, the love of God has been poured into your heart. It is there because he has poured his agape, his love into your heart to make you able to love your neighbor and to love one another here in church. And therefore, make the decision to obey the word of God. And you will experience when you apply this, that suddenly love is there and pours out of you. More than anything else, love should be the mark or label of the Christians especially in a world where love yeah, grows colder and colder 
and this is why we within the church and outside of the church should make or be a difference in John 13 verse 34 it says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so when we love then we mirror in our lives the love of God and this is one reason why we should love one another but I believe um, there's even a greater aim behind this because the biggest emotional basic need that we have as humans is to know and to experience that we are loved right I think everyone can support this right that this is our emotional basic need to know that we are loved and to experience this the root of most of problems between people is a lack of love I've been working with people for more than 25 years and I have realized when you put away with everything that seems to be the problem at first glance, if you put all of this away, then at the bottom there is a hurt soul that says, I, I only want to be loved. And this is the basic need that every one of us has. And very often there are problems that seem to be very great, but if you put everything away then you return to that basic thing uh, you will meet the hurt soul that says I just want to be loved and this basic need is what Jesus wants to fulfill and on the one hand he has already done this because he has given his life for you this is where he has proven his love John 15 says greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends Jesus has proved his love for you and for me but over above this Jesus wants to love you also through your fellow Christians through the love that has been poured into each and every one of us every one of us is a channel of the love of God by loving one another, by loving one another, Jesus fulfills our basic need to be loved. So every one of us is a channel of God's love. So when we love one another, then this basic need in our heart is being stilled. So let us, in this sense, live out to be a church and by doing so being strong testimony for this world and let us take over this responsibility for the other one that he feels love this is the task that we've got from God to pour out God's love into the life of our neighbor it is given to you decide yourself to love and let us not forget to pray for God's servants for our government when we had the day of the open door uh, open day 
I don't know if you were here, we had an official part this day too, and we had we invited the representatives of the city as well, and the, um, the head of the FDP was here, and he really spoke a, a nice greeting to us here. And I like that because we want to be transparent here in the city, we want to be open, we don't want to uh, hide away from the city, but we want to be in the middle of the city. And I was glad that he came and delivered a greeting to the church. And we talked afterwards for a little while. I also know him personally. And I told him later on, so when you meet next time someone to pray for you, when you meet at a party, then you can tell me if you need someone to pray for you. And of course it was a bit um, uh, jokingly, but when I prepared the sermon, then I thought I should really offer this again concretely, even though I might not be invited there to pray before all of them. That would be cool, right, if someone could do this. But still, perhaps while they have their meeting, to pray for them. And I don't want to say that they need especially lots of prayer, but um, we, was, we are supposed to ask, uh, pray for all of them. But we should really think about this because I'm triggered by the word of First Timothy where it says especially. We should, we pray a lot and if we pray for the government usually we add this at the end, if at all. But First Timothy says we should especially pray for the government. And so probably we should really think about this week how we can really do this practically. Of course we can do it in our daily prayer during our silent time or probably there are even more ways where we can really do that practically where we can introduce prayer into the city, into the government and tell them, hey, we pray for you. I think this would be a good and right thing to do. Amen. Lord, we thank you for giving us a government. It has become clear that we need a government that takes care of our lives and we don't understand everything and why you have done some things or instituted some people but we'll trust in you and want to subject ourselves to the government that you have appointed and we see that in Paul who writes this and who has lived this out himself and we also saw how Jesus did it himself, how he subjected himself under Pontius Pilate too. And I ask you, Lord, that you might reform our thoughts where we are sometimes anti-government and sometimes are more little revolutionaries who call people to revolt against the government or as things they have ordered. But I ask you, Lord, that that more than we uh, are angry about um, the government that we should pray for it and they have a great responsibility and I and I really have to confess that I don't want to exchange offices with them they are made responsible for everything regardless of whether they really carry responsibility for that doesn't matter we want to pray for them and want to ask you to equip them with your wisdom that you strengthen them and we'd also ask you that they might reach out to you you have appointed them and no one might see it like this 
but as your truth. And we thank you that we are not completely uh, delivered up to them, but we can see in your word that you are still in control, that you still got the power, that you've got the power over Germany and over all the other countries and wherever everyone here might come from. You can help us, you can humble the proud, you can make them realize that they need to subdue themselves under the living God. And that is what we ask you for. This is what we wish for, especially from those reigning people who think they were kind of a God and would have all the power. So Lord, we ask you to be at work and that you would show us what our task as church might be in the city. And we thank you that you love us and you've proven your love by giving your son. And Jesus, you have showed your love to us by yeah, letting go of your life. And you give us this task and it's so great. And we all know it that we should love one another and our neighbors as ourselves. It's a huge mountain and sometimes we stand before that and we think, wow, we can't do this. And it's true. But your love is alive within us. You live within us and you want to fulfill this task within us. Please help us to believe in your word into this calling so that love might be there that we need to meet our neighbor with love and to love one another here at church too. We are one body. We belong together and we are responsible for one another. And we don't want our heart to colden because of the other one, but instead we want to live out the love that you have given us as an example. Thank you that you will enable us to do that. And please make us also want to do that. Amen.